welcome all of you who have joined me this evening for our Maundy Thursday podcast. Many of you may wonder what Maundy Thursday is all about since we don't have many midweek observances in our United Methodist tradition. The word Maundy is a shortened form of the Latin word mandatum, which means command. On Maundy Thursday, we commemorate Jesus' mandate or command given to his disciples on the Thursday night of his final week as they finished sharing a Passover meal together. We call this meal the Last Supper. It was during this meal when Jesus shared the bread and wine with his disciples and called them his body and blood. We still celebrate Holy Communion, or the Lord's Supper, based on Jesus' instructions. It was after this meal that Jesus washed the feet of all the disciples to teach them that the greatest among them must also be a servant to all. As Jesus washed their feet, he gave the command for which the day is named. It is recorded in this way in John 13, verse 34 in the Common English Bible. I give you a new commandment, love each other, just as I have loved you, so you must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, when you love each other. Jesus' command to love one another as I have loved you raised the definition of love to a higher level than the world had known before. He called us not just to love when it is easy, but to love even when it is hard. We are to love those who offend or hurt us. We are to love those with whom we disagree. We are to love those who maybe don't deserve our love. We are to love those who sin just as we hope for the same love from them. In short, we are to love our enemies as well as our friends. This was as revolutionary then as today, yet we still struggle to live out the clear command to love. After his last lessons, the meal and the foot washing, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and to wait for his arrest. The disciples followed him, unaware that one of them at that moment was betraying Jesus. We know what happened after that. The disciples slept nearby while Jesus prayed so fervently to his father that he swept droplets of blood. The soldiers came and Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. After a brief scuffle with the startled disciples, Jesus was arrested and taken away to be tried in a sham proceeding, to be sentenced to death, to be beaten and humiliated, and finally to be marched to Golgotha to be nailed to a Roman cross. And through all of this, Jesus kept his commands. He loved. Let us pray. Gracious God, as those who strive to follow Jesus in our living and to trust your power in our dying, we gather to reflect upon the life that ended on a cross. We recognize in ourselves the strengths and weaknesses of Jesus' disciples. Although they loved him, they disappointed and failed him. And yet, gathering with these imperfect friends at this last meal, Jesus washed their feet in service and then extended the bread and cup to each. Jesus called them to love one another and invited them to share in his very life and in his acceptance of the road ahead. We are humbled, honored, and inspired by the deep love Christ extended to the world, and we take seriously the calling to be the body of Christ today. Forgive us when we disappoint and fail you, and guide us back to a place of trust and faithful living. Grant us the vision to see the world as you see it, with love and compassion for each creature and all of your creation. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray to you, our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Our scripture lesson this evening is from Luke, chapter 23, verses 22 to 43. They also led two other criminals to be executed with Jesus. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. They drew lots as a way of dividing up his clothing. The people were standing around watching, but the leader sneered at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is really the Christ sent from God, the chosen one. But soldiers also mocked him. They came up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you really are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above his head was a notice of the formal charge against him. It read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging next to Jesus insulted him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Responding, the other criminal spoke harshly to him. Don't you fear God, seeing that you've also been sentenced to die? We are rightly condemned, for we are receiving the appropriate sentence for what we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. May God bless the reading of his word. We've been hearing for the last few weeks from some of the people who gave a gift to Jesus during the last week of his earthly life. Today we're going to hear from one of the thieves who was crucified along with Jesus. This thief had nothing to give to Jesus but his faith. We've never met you and I, and if we had, you can be sure I'd never let you know what line of work I was in. I'm the type of person your mother told you to stay away from when you were a child, for fear that it would infect your mind with my devious ways and into trouble. I'm a thief and a robber. I was that one who named Jesus as my savior in the last moments of my life. How'd I come to be on that gloomy Friday, nailed to a cross beside Jesus? Well, I don't think I didn't know better. I won't give you any tear-jerking story about how disadvantaged I was growing up, or how I came from a broken home and therefore my thieving wasn't really my fault. I knew exactly what I was doing. I was a Jewish boy who knew the law of God as well as any. My parents had me circumcised as son of Abram on the eighth day. Whenever there was a feast day or fast, my family kept it. After being instructed in the Torah, I had my bar mitzvah at the age of 12. And even if none of this had been true of my childhood, I would have known better anyway. 
The law of God was recorded not only on the scrolls in the synagogue, but on my heart, inscribed there from the day of my birth, just as it was, is on your heart. No one needed to tell me it was wrong to murder or steal. I already knew, just as you do. But I soon learned it was easier to lift a bag of coins from a traveler's belt than to work all day in the sun for one small denarius. The people in the city soon got wise to me, though. How anxious those merchants were when I came here. So I had to change my tactics. The place to make the easiest profit was the desert. The wilderness area where roads were more like rocky paths winding around hills, below cliffs, and through narrow ravines. From a thousand hiding places, I could watch for the unsuspecting businessman and pilgrim and then leap on him as he passed. With help of a few ruthless comrades or two, I would render the, my victims unconscious, lift their valuables, and be gone in seconds. As anti-Roman sentiment grew, I even justified my thieving on political grounds. I was a patriot. I raised money to finance revolution. If my target was a worthy partisan, he would give me his wallet with gratitude. If he was a collaborator with the hated Romans, he deserved the beating I gave him before fleeing with his money. There were so many of us. The Romans were forced to constantly patrol the desert roads, protecting travelers, tracking down, and arresting scoundrels like me. One day I was caught off guard. A troop of cavalry spotted me running from the scene of my latest crime. I was no match for their horses and soon found myself shackled, being taken in chains to Jerusalem. From that moment, my fate was sealed. I was dragged before the magistrate, charged, convicted on the testimony of two witnesses who recognized me and sentenced me to death. Within two days, I would be crucified. The Romans didn't drag things out. But since Passover was just hours in May, I might be granted at least a few extra days of my life, I reasoned. But it being Tuesday, when I was convicted, surely they would honor the sensitivities of the Jews and wait till Sunday. The longer the delay, the greater chance, no matter how remote, that someone might come forward and pay the bribe to get me released. Maybe my mother. A mother would do anything to save the life of her son, no matter how worthless he is. Rough soldiers telling me crude jokes and laughing out, laughing loudly, threw me into a cave-like hole cut into the rock, an iron grate clanked shut over my head. The light was dim. As my eyes became accustomed to the gloom, I made out the forms of two other prisoners, both of whom I'd seen before. One was that rascal Barabbas, a thief like myself, but also a political troublemaker and murderer. The other was a robber who had often worked with me. Might his words have led the Romans to me, landing here? Might he have turned informer, hoping more lenient treatment of himself? In that dark hole, we boasted about our crimes, each trying to hide the great fear of death we felt. Each asked the other what the Romans planned to do to us. Yes, it seemed we still had a few days to live. The governor had ordered our crucifixion for Sunday. Three crosses were already prepared. As the sky darkened on Thursday evening, we each moved to a corner of our dungeon. 
trying unsuccessfully to arrange a filthy straw into something that resembled a bed. The blackness, before dawn, we were awakened. Barabbas, up, came the abrupt order. Perhaps Barabbas was to die sooner than the rest of us. Perhaps to prevent some disturbance by his rabble-rousing friends, he was to die under the cover of darkness. Screaming, crying, Barabbas was dragged away. I never saw him again. Barely I had dozed off when the iron gate clanked open once more. In the torch light, I could see the rope that would pull me and the other thief off. Move it on your feet, Legionnaire commanded. Found once more, I was pushed and dragged into the pavement next to the governor's palace. I was to die that day after all. Another prisoner already stood there, bruised, beaten, wearing a crown of thorns. It was the prophet from Nazareth, Jesus, the one everyone had heard about, the one some thought might be the Messiah. Just days before he had entered the city in triumph, riding on a donkey, being hailed as the son of David, king of Israel. Hosanna, save us, Lord, the crowd had shouted. But now look at him covered with blood, his back ripped open, his eyes swollen shut from the beatings, barely able to stand, friendless amid, uh, amid the mob screaming for crucifixion. What had he done to deserve this? A crossbeam was thrust onto each prisoner's shoulders. To the jeers of the crowd, the shouted commands of the centurion, we began a different kind of procession that one on this previous Sunday. This time, no psalms of joy were chanted. No garments were strewn on the path to make carpet for the king. No palm branches were waved. There were no hosannas to the son of David. The wails of the women who had come to lament the dying pierced the silence. The other thief and I cursed, struggled to stay upright under the burden. Jesus fell again and again on the narrow street, later known as Via Della Rosa, the Way of Sorrows. A passerby, a pilgrim from Siren, Simon, a man I would have robbed given a chance, was forced to carry Jesus' crossbeam. Only once did Jesus speak as the procession made its way to the hill of Golgotha. Don't weep for me, he told the wailing women. Weep for yourselves and your children. Don't cry the tears of ceremony and tradition, he seemed to be saying. Cry the tears of repentance and faith. If this was done to me on a good day, what will happen to you and your families on the day of judgment? All I could think about was the burden of my cross and the agony that awaited me a few hundred yards away. But Jesus... Jesus' mind was on other matters. He was concerned about the future of these women and their children. What kind of king is this? Concerned for others, even when he was about to die. At Kugatha, the only concession to mercy offered was strong wine mixed with gall, a pain-killing drug. I drank deeply, as did the other thief. Jesus tasted the substance and spit it out. Why would he not drink it? I wondered. 
Would he really endure the torment of the cross, the torment of the cross without it? What kind of man was he? As the nails tore through my flesh, my mouth poured forth with torrent of vile curses and profanity directed at the soldiers. They laughed and simply cursed back, never missing a blow with a hammer. Jesus strangely said nothing. He cried out in pain, but that was all. Within minutes, I was hoisted up, my cross being fastened into position. There was no escape from the agony. Pushing against the footrest brought me some relief of the pain in my wrist, but doing so seemed only to prolong the ordeal. What monster had invented this instrument of suffering? All about me, a tragic drama was being played out, a drama in which even I had become a willing participant. In one corner of the stage were soldiers throwing dice, gambling for the clothes of a dying king. In another was a small huddle of Jesus' followers, sobbing quietly, embracing one another. Over there was a jeering mob, laughing, hurling insults at Jesus. At the foot of his cross stood a centurion, staring at Jesus, lost in thought. And me? I was dying, and yet mocking Jesus for all I was worth. Then above the din of all that mockery and cursing and screaming, Jesus spoke. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them? Forgive the soldiers despite the torture they had inflicted? Forgive the mob that had hated and spewed from their mouths? Forgive me, a thief? Me who had dishonored my parents and blasted me, my God, with the lifestyle I had chosen, me who had joined in ridiculing this kind of kind and righteous man, forgive me, who could Jesus be? Might he really be the King of Israel, the Messiah, the Savior? For once I became silent. I watched. I listened. I thought. I studied the inscription board nailed to the cross above Jesus' head. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of Jews, it read. What kind of king would endure such indignity with such grace? Who but the Messiah would concern himself with suffering of old women even as he was about to die? Who but God himself would speak words of forgiveness to thieves and murderers and tormentors? transformation came over me. I saw myself as a vile sinner in the presence of a divine holiness without hope except for him. Somehow in those short hours since we had stumbled along together in that gloomy procession, in the moments we had shared as a dying, as dying men, this man had changed me. Where parents and rabbi had failed, this man took possession of my heart with his kindness and words of forgiveness. The other thief kept up the mockery. Aren't you the Christ? He sneered. Save yourself and us. At least I spoke, rebuking him. Don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve.
But this man has done nothing wrong. Straining my neck that I might see his face, I called out, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What would your reply have been to me if you had been the one who heard my cry? Remember you? (laughs) You, a man who had every opportunity and yet threw them all away? You, a man who had nothing but contempt for your whole life, for everything good and decent? You, who never darkened the door of God's house in your adult life? You, who only concern in life was yourself? Remember you? Not a chance. That's how we might think, but not Jesus. The very essence of his being is grace and forgiveness. Never would he turn away a repentant thief, or even you. So he spoke those sweetest words of all to me. I tell you the truth. Today we will be, you will be with me in paradise. And I was that very day before the sunset. I wasted my life thieving, rebelling, reviling all that was holy. And then he saved me. But by the time I owned him as my savior and king, it was too late for me to do anything in thankfulness to him. Had I another opportunity, I would gladly have done his work, visiting the sick and needy, teaching the ones he loved, giving my substance, praise with voice and instrument, offering him my strength and mind, but I wasted my life. But you still live. You still have time to let your hands and feet and mouth do his work. You still have blessings of material abundance that you can use for him. You still have some gift you can bring him in thanksgiving. He remembers you, even now, calling out to his father for your forgiveness, promising you a home in paradise. Oh yes, he remembers you. Will you remember him? Gracious Father, a thief in the last moments of his life was promised a home in paradise by your son. With nothing to offer but his guilt and a cry of faith, you forgave and received him as your own dear child. Help us, Lord, to know that even as this thief, we are loved, forgiven, and accepted by you. Not because of any gift we bring, but by your free grace through faith in Christ alone. In his name we pray. Amen. Jesus taught us to love by his example during his life, but he taught us a more commanding lesson in love by his death. By dying, he saved us to love one another, to love one another better in the truest sense. There could not be a better lesson for our lives than this one. Love always costs something. Go in peace. As Christ loved you, love one another. I leave you in the darkness of this night to await the dawn. The monologue of the prisoner who gave nothing is from the book, The Gifts of Lent by Donald H. Nydick, CSS Publishing Company, Lyme, Ohio, 1999.